Thank you again, Philip. Um, last week you were lucky enough to be on holiday from me, so we kind of continued um, in your absence and we were discussing um, the understanding of the description or the nature of artificial intelligence. Um, our discussion now is carrying on from the, fe the feast of the birth of Christ, which we call Christmas, and we were talking about his baptism, and which we call Theophany. Some people might call this Orthodox Christmas. And today we are going to discuss um, the entrance into the temple. From Christmas we understood that we received our DNA, our creative reality, the truth. Um, through baptism we then found out really our our purpose in the way that we are then clothed in Christ so that we have the power of God um, at our hands and today I will try to see if we can understand that we are offering ourselves to the community that we know as a church um, so first I think we respect it as a feast um, so if you if you can share with us what you have prepared. Well, firstly, just to mention, when you told me we were doing this, this specific topic, I thought to myself, how are we going to get 30 minutes of conversation? Because it's a very short part of the... It doesn't really say much in the Bible about what occurred. But when I started reading, I thought to myself, how are we going to fit all of this within 30 minutes? Because there is so much ridiculous amount of information and wisdom that we can get from this. I think that according to the fathers the main kind of wisdom we can get from this is how the Old Testament is fulfilled. So we can see that from the moment that Mary takes Jesus to the temple on the 40th day that is a fulfillment of the Jewish law. So all Jewish babies were taken to the temple on the 40th day. And this is actually carried on by the Orthodox and not by the Jews anymore, which is interesting. But the main kind of way that the fathers talk about how it fulfills the Old Testament is the idea of sacrifice. So Jews were expected to take two turtle doves and one unblemished lamb to their temple on the 40th day and the Jewish priests would have sacrificed these animals to God and that would have been the perfect sacrifice and the kind of feast would be completed. However, what is interesting in the story, Mary and Joseph only brought two turtle doves. They didn't bring the unblemished lamb. When we're talking about unblemished lamb, it's referring to the perfect lamb, so no spots, no illness, no uh, anything like that, but the idea of the perfect lamb. And it's interesting, in scripture it says they only brought two turtle doves. This is kind of assuming, or it's kind of hinting to us, pointing towards that Jesus himself is the unblemished lamb. So he is the ultimate sacrifice. And 
not only that, but we hear of a man called Simeon as well. And Simeon, who through the Holy Spirit, it was revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. So he blessed God and he said the following prayer. Do you have it there, Badu? Yeah. Oh, I've got it. Oh, you've got it. So he said the following prayer, which is, again, rich with meaning. He says, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So in other words, the fathers say that Simeon represents all humanity who are waiting for the Messiah to deliver them from the curse of death. Simeon fulfills the prophecy in the Psalms in which God makes a promise to reveal himself to those who love him. But the big kind of Old Testament revelation is with Isaiah. Now what really interests me was the fact that the fathers continually say you cannot read scripture outside the church. It is like getting a recipe for a cake, but you don't have any ingredients. You cannot put it into reality. You can't do anything with it. Scripture and the church go hand in hand because we use them together, the liturgy and scripture. So if you separate the two, the two fall apart. So maybe we can call then the church the cooking utensil, it's the oven. You can have the ingredients in the mixture, but you won't reveal what it is until it's been baked by the church. Exactly, exactly. So Isaiah, in, his, uh, in this specific story of Isaiah, he receives a coal from an angel. So the angel, he picks up the coal from the altar, it picks up the coal from the altar, and he places it within the mouth of Isaiah, so a burning coal. And the angel tells Isaiah, now that you have received this coal, you are ready to receive the revelation from God. So you are ready to receive this vision. You have been purified. And Isaiah glorifies God and he says, near enough the same poem that Simeon has just said. So what's important is the fact that in the temple, this wasn't just a random event. When the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees heard Simeon say this prayer, their ears kind of poked out and they thought, wait, this man is quoting Isaiah. He's talking about the Messiah. So the Jews knew right from the beginning of Jesus' life that people believed that he was a Messiah, that there is something about this child that is special. And we kind of see that Simeon and Isaiah go hand in hand. They bring alive the truth. So where Isaiah only receives a type of the Messiah, which is a coal, Simeon has the real thing. So Isaiah is kind of pointing in the right direction, but Simeon is hitting the bullseye. So it's kind of fulfilling the Old Testament.
and this goes on and on and on and the fathers have so much to say about this feast and it's no surprise that this is one of the oldest feasts in the church's calendar it's from 450 AD and it is referred to in the Western church as Candlemas and it was actually celebrated potentially before Christmas was celebrated in this country this is back when England was Orthodox. As a celebration, you mean as a feast? As, as a, a feast, yeah. yeah. Um, so again, you know, the, we're not creating just a Bible study of information of history and theology, which is beautiful when it's actually simplified in a way that you think, okay, everything makes sense. For example, the church does things for a reason. We just don't understand those reasons. So. We've been created in the image of God. We have been given God powers in baptism. And what does this feast then really represent for us then? Why would we be doing it every year when we can do it really on a daily basis? And why a daily basis? Because at the birth of a child, we have three prayers. Um, the first is when the child is born. Um, it's a very rarely used prayer. In other words, we're not called as priests to go. I've gone to most of my family and friends that I know. Um, you will see that some traditions have this a little bit more rigid, that the first thing that a child should hear is the scripture of their faith, of the belief of their parents, of the tradition that the child is born into. So we go there um, on the birth of a child in the same kind of way um, and we bless its chest, its ears, its mouth. So there is a real important blessing that people don't really um, know maybe. Then there's the one that represents um, even the kind of understanding of today where we will come and we will name the child. We will name the child on its eighth day, giving it its um, identity to the world, not to the child itself. The child has an identity as a human angel of God. Um, and then we allow society then to, be, to give it this dignity and honorability in a name that then will have substance. In other words, they can be called upon by others to serve them. And then the 40th day where we would say this prayer that Philip has just given us, um, and we receive back the mother and the child into the community as she has been healthily um, preserved for 40 days in her own home by relatives, um, by neighbours, even by friends, um, because she is outside of the church. For 40 days, the church says that she has no access to Holy Communion. That is very scary for a Christian that truly believes in the body and blood of Christ. 40 days without Holy Communion can seem a very um, scary thought, not being able to have this living access to God. So this feast really then is not just as it 
as we have seen scripture and as Philip has said, it's the fulfillment really of um, the prophecies. And for us it's the truth. God ha is no more hidden. No one can say they don't know about Christ. This is impossible now. It doesn't matter where you live and where you are. There is... Um, people might know, not know the depth, as we don't even know the depth. What Philip has told us, many might have not even have known. We just see it as a feast of a representing of the mother, um, the child, to the temple for the, for the purpose of Simeon to be able to die. But we will see that this feast is the opportunity of revealing to the world the talent of that, hum that human. That human who is in the image and protected by God is a soldier of God has been presented then to the general of the armies to be able to say that they can now serve these armies. It is a sacrifice. It is a tradition that sometimes or most of the time has not been maintained now but you will see that in the early church, in the beginning of the church after the resurrection of Christ, you will see that it was a common practice even before that when the prophetess Anna was in the temple receiving the sacrifice of virgin or innocent maidens that were hopefully going to be the mother of God. This was what they were trying to see, the fulfillment of this prophecy. It was the same even for families that they would place someone in the church. Someone would serve the church. One member of the family would serve the church. And this was this sacrifice. So she, you will see that by the mother bringing Jesus into the temple for Simeon. And Simeon's, it wasn't his wish to see the child. His wish was to see Israel saved. And as you can see, he says, the light of the revelation to the Gentiles. That means even outside of Israel. And this is when Philip said that he really had true humanity in mind. He wanted the world to be saved, knowing the prophecy of Isaiah. You will see that this was an obedience. Simeon was obedient to what the angel said, that you will stay here to receive the child because the wisdom that has been given to you and the understanding of these things that you have been speaking that you will not die until you hold the Messiah this was as the star was at the birth of Christ revealing to the kings that they have to now start their journey to find the king of Israel the king of the Jews this was again for the Sadducees and the Pharisees the ability to understand this must be the Messiah because the, the prayer now of um, Simeon was that I have fulfilled my obedience I have done what you've told me now let me go in peace not because he was tired but because there was nothing else richer for him left than to see that salvation has come into the world, especially with the understanding that this will be preserved within the church. The church is the, 
the place where all these things are revealed and they're revealed to us us that maybe receive them in secret because we're the ones that come who are baptized and receive holy communion and then we have to go into the world and, and, and share it and this is through the individual vocation as you can see it is the talent the sacrifice that we offer to the temple when we come here we let the world and we let the church know that there has been an other potential saint brought into the world that is the potential of every human being born and then baptized this is your potential and this is what we offer the church and we let it know that there is a talent that has come with this child I remember it was kind of like an old wives tale when young people would get married and they would have children and maybe they didn't have everything in place um, maybe the job they wanted or how they were going to living and the custom was don't worry because with every child comes a blessing this is what they used to say you know the wise ancestors of my family would say to me don't worry every child brings a blessing and, and God will, will help you and this is the reality for really a community um, when we have an obvious talent that has to be shared with humanity because we are not here for ourselves Simeon proved that he was not here for himself he was here to be able to offer actually an unblemished lamb maybe for the first time a truly unblemished lamb for the first time um, to the to the temple he was holding salvation in his arms um, which is an, an awesome thing of how satisfied Simeon was um, and us as priests that we do this every liturgy we hold the same lamb that Simeon held even if we had respect for just Simeon and not even the lamb then we would have respect for the lamb we don't there is no continuation in other words we get we are distracted even as priests by being busy we complain we've done this and we've done this and we've done this and and we are distracted and a little bit like Martha we're running around really thinking we're doing good things but we have to be like Mary sometimes and we have to believe in what we're doing Isaiah had a burning coal in his mouth and he was not consumed um, and we have the same the Holy Spirit is fire that falls upon the altar we are clothed to be able to protect us um, and we break and distribute and you are consumed by God in Holy Communion and do we really have this belief um, but you will see that this feast is for the understanding that um, we are an offering to the world God said Christ said that don't be arrogant to think that you're gonna have an easier life if they hated me they will hate you if they persecute me they're gonna persecute you you're not better than me that I'm gonna get away with this um, and so I don't know sometimes why we're shocked that being Christian um, can be such time a challenging thing
Um, this is not martyrdom. This is our own fantasy. Because we have all the ability and all the utensils and all the blessings of God to be able to get through this life and help the Gentiles. Our wish as an Orthodox Christian should be that uh, I wouldn't want to leave this world, not because I'm attached to the cares of this world or the materialistic life, but because I want everybody to be saved. Why shouldn't that person be saved and that person should be saved? And it should be my drive, really, to make sure that um, we, as it says here, I think it says here, that a light of revelation to the Gentiles. This is us. We should be the candles in the darkness. We should be the hope of the hopeless. Um, so for the feast to be celebrated on a yearly basis, even though we celebrate it every 40 days that a child is brought into the church, we do the same celebration. In a may maybe it's a low-key celebration now because it's just for the, you know, as the mother brought Christ, the mother brings her child to the church. Um, that it is important for us to realize that what we're doing is we're offering the talent, the gift, um, to the community, to the body, it's a vitamin to the body, to the body of the church, to encourage the church to say that there is another soldier. We've lost someone that was 96 two weeks ago and they had a talent. Well, today we, we give you someone that is 40 days old that will replace and replenish that 96-year-old person and, and that will continue there is always a, there is never an empty space that has not been filled by God um, but if we don't empty ourselves then of course there is no empty spaces for everything to be holy we keep the world in pain because we keep it filled with this um, fear really I would say distraction is fear so the feast as you can see Philip um, gives us a purpose really gives us a job to do um, it's quite exciting to be born a Christian everybody is born a Christian we've said this to then um, be given the, the armory of heaven to, be, to battle the, against temptation and then to be able to then be a soldier of this righteousness, a soldier of revelation, of illumination, um, of love. It's so exciting. And it all happens um, <laughs> in the first 40 days of our lives. And then after that, it's quite a big struggle. It all seems to be really good until we're 40 days. Then after that, um, it seems to be quite a struggle. We're actually called cradle orthodox, those who are baptized as children but have never really seeked to maintain that 40-day blessing. Because traditionally some children were baptized even at the 40 days or um, so that <clears throat> that blessing would be a, a, a very quick blessing to the community. There's no reason to wait sometimes. It's just the way we do things. But um, as you said, a very short 
feast um, in its teaching because it's just a mother going with a child taking it to the temple under the tradition to be circumcised and, and why keep this tradition because wasn't Paul confused about or the teachings about that they thought that circumcision had to happen before baptism yeah and he said pretty much that Jesus has fulfilled all of that for us you know that's why there's no need for it which kind of highlights that Christ did everything totally human so that us humans can be totally God in that kind of freedom. There, he did everything. He did everything out of love, the same way that we should do the same thing. Because it's, the process doesn't mean that you'd have to be a Jew first to then be a Christian. This is not the kind of genealogy that we have here in Gospel. Christ fulfilled prophecies. So the prophecy is, dis, is extinguished, but, the, but what it has lit, though, is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Um, maybe the New Testament is like the firework, and the Old Testament is the instructions on the firework. So you read it for ages. What do I have to do? Oh, yeah, you do it like this, you put it on this, and then you light that little thing on the bottom. So yes, the instructions were the Old, the Old Testament on this beautiful firework, but as soon as you, you lit it, then you saw the wonder of what, it was, what was hidden within those instructions, really. And the church is like the match. And the church is like the match, mm. which is very good. So we can see that Simeon was obedient to God's calling for him. He put him there to be able to do this. It wasn't his wish. A lot of people think that Simon was, Simeon was begging God, I'm not going to leave in a stubborn way. I'm not leaving until, you sh until I see the Messiah. Um, this was something that was revealed to him through God, the same way that the Virgin Mary was told she was going to have the Messiah in the first place. So these show that there was in these... People that could be criticized because they were the priests of the same church that we criticize um, actually held as well the good news. Um, God never disrespected them in that way. He was just saying it's the blind leading the blind, really. But it, it was so evident, and I think because of even with the prophetess. Um, because they bring her into the feast, into the gospel reading, um, that it wasn't just um, from the male side of this kind of idea of the church. It is, it is, the, it is, the, it is all humanity. That there wasn't a distinguishing thing that there was favourites. Um. It's interesting that, because in the, in the gospel it says that when Anna the prophetess saw Jesus, she immediately gave thanks to God mm. and spoke to all who wanted salvation in Jerusalem about Jesus. And it's interesting because when Jesus first resurrected, he first revealed himself to a woman and he, did, he kind of expected the woman to reveal that to everybody else. And in the same way, this is happening here as well where the Messiah has first been revealed to a woman and she has revealed it to the whole of Jerusalem. So it's an all-encompassing gospel story. It's not just for 
the Jews or the non-Jews or the males or females, St. Paul says we are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no male, there is no female, there is no Greek and no Jew. We are all one in Christ. And, you know, this gospel kind of summarises that as well. Because the prophetess Anna, in a way, for us, represents the church, um, the femininity of the church. If Christ is the bridegroom and he is the bride of the church, then the church must be feminine. And you will see that she said, um, and spoke of him, which was the revelation that this was the Messiah, by Simeon's short poem of Revelation, to, who, to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So there wasn't, so we spoke of Gentiles, there was a lot of people for, the, for those who were seeking the redemption of Jerusalem, which is really the, the Ano Jerusalem, you know, the, the higher Jerusalem, not the earthly Jerusalem, the higher Jerusalem, the Jerusalem of salvation. Um, and they had performed everything it said according to the law. And when Christ said to the rich man, he asked him and he said, how do I receive salvation? He says, what is written in the law? What is your understanding of it? And he said, you know, love you with all you, love God with all my mind, soul, heart, strength, and my neighbor the same. And, you know, he said, so Christ came and showed them that really that, um, there wasn't a change, it wasn't a revolution. Christ did not, was not a revolutionary that they had to fight. It is something that they had to accept. And it is the same for us. All these feasts that we have in the church is for us to accept, is this the truth or not the truth, and live it. It is simple, it's not forced on us. You will see that our parents might try the best, maybe by thinking that baptism is a good thing for us. Um, the same way that they feed us certain things, thinking it's good for us, certain food types. Some of our parents might choose to be vegans, vegetarians. They might give us a certain way of life, which is not our choice. It's not my choice. I'm, I'm young. I have to do what my parents give me. So we live under other people's philosophies. But if if the family stayed within the nucleus of the church, the church was the nucleus of every family, you will see that we will all benefit from the same. Um, and this kind of gives the idea that being called sheep makes us sound like dumb following animals, um, rather than the cheeky goats that are kind of unruly a little bit. But this is not really what is here. It's the ability to live together. Sheep can live in a very big flock, a very big herd. And, and goats, sometimes you will see the kind of, um, they could live isolated. They don't really, this is the kind of message we get from these um, kind of examples that we hear in Scripture. Um, is there anything else that we haven't really covered now? I think we've covered everything. Everything. So you will see that we have a big responsibility. The big responsibility is to educate ourselves. Um, Philip said he admitted that 
He felt that this was a feast that was a tradition. He never knew the depth of it until he read on it. So he was asked by the church to come today to, with a bit of research sent out. And he came back and we're constantly learning ourselves. You know, it's hard to have to explain everything because you will see that everything comes back to one simple thing. That God is uncreated but created us in, in a non-created fashion. In other words, He created us in His uncreated image. That takes a lot of love to, to make something equal to yourself when you have not been made before. There was no example to say, okay, someone made me, so it's my responsibility to make someone else. He was there from the beginning before anything. He's always existed, God, in Trinity. An amazing thing, and then to create a world. An amazing thing. That's a powerful love that we will never understand. So we don't need none of these festivals, neither Christmas, neither the baptism we celebrate. We would have them in our lives. We don't need uh, the, the entry into the temple. Because really, if we understood the liturgy in itself, the richness within that liturgy, as Philip has said before, we're celebrating Easter, but we celebrate Easter every Sunday. We even have... Um, a resurrection gospel in the matins. We sing Evlogidaria of the resurrection. Um, even on the Sundays of Easter, we still sing these things on the Sundays. So this, nothing proceeds now, nothing can hide the liturgy. The liturgy of Sunday is above all of the things that we seem to feast as a celebration, as a reminder to really who we are, um, what we are and what do we need to do and we're never going to stop doing it the saints are not in a retirement home they're not on holiday um, they are still actively um, living love serving um, and it's it's an amazing it's an amazing thing um, I don't know how more to explain it really without over waffling in a way but it's just sometimes it's so evidently common sense that you can over kind of try to say it to get other people to understand it that it can come across like arrogance that we think we have an education and the laity don't and it's hard to be able to share this but it's not if you allow yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit as was Simeon and to be given um, the understanding that you are not useless, that you have a purpose and you are useful even though if we find individuals challenging um, but the challenge is temptation is not the individual as you will see when Christ was challenged by Peter to say that let's not go to Jerusalem, let's, let's kind of run away, we don't have to go, you know they're going to crucify you, we don't have to do all that. Christ didn't say to him, you know, what you're talking about. He said to him, behind me Satan. He dealt with the temptation, the same way with John the Baptist. He dealt with the temptation that John the Baptist had. Because it's not your right, he said to John the Baptist, 
to say what's going to happen and not happen. You have to do what we have been told by my father. Baptize me so that he will then glorify me in front of men so that they will see the truth. And, and we will see that it is important not to be distracted. We need to stay focused. These talks hopefully is about us staying focused because the reality is you will leave this world but how do you intend to live eternally? Eternal life is guaranteed for everyone. It is not a choice. It's just unfortunately how this eternal life will be lived. And we have to really start as quickly as we can face this truth because you can't hide it. It can't be hidden. No one can take that away from you. There is a truth. And we have seen this truth. And we worship this truth. And we maintain and sustain this truth for over 2,000 years. It would not be here. And it is going to face more challenges. We need to stay focused. It was said in the Old Testament, wasn't it, with Sodom and Galore when Gomorrah when he said don't don't distract yourself carry on don't mm. turn around don't turn around yeah. and the wife turned around and she turned to stone and yeah. she died and it is the same for us if we focus on the distraction we will die we will die and and death is eternal life and torment that's a, that's a that's a death because you're not functional, you're not living to your purpose, you're not living to the way that you were designed to live. Um, so, yes, blessed are the festivals and the feasts of the church so that we can um, constantly be reminded, even on an annual basis, that then we would even maybe share this information that um, we have the courage the courage as Simeon um, to be able to be obedient and satisfied that when he has fulfilled what God has for him that he will be happy um, to go to the rest that has been promised to him and not to say when they were prepared the feast the master and everyone came up with an excuse you know, God will come now. If he came now, he would say, maybe some of us might say, yeah, but I never got married. Yeah, but you had all that time. Yeah, but I never had children. Yeah, but okay. I never had grandchildren, but I never saw their grandchildren. If we've done what we've been told to do and we've done it, then we will be classified as a saint. We have been obedient. We have been humble. Um, and we have served our Lord um, and, and this is really our purpose we are um, a wonderful miracle still in this very confusing world in its most simplest form actually we are as important as Mount Athos as monastic unceasing prayer we are um, lanterns in darkness and we are the vitamins of those who are weak because we apparently are meant to be strong. And we can't complain really, we need to get on with it. And obviously individual support would be maybe confession, maybe fasting would be prayer, 
you know, to re, to kind of re-engage um, with our purpose. So thank you, Philip. I don't know. We haven't really decided what we're doing next week, have we? No. Um, but maybe we can leave it as a surprise. But, so thank you very much. Um, yeah. Thank you, brother.